Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, and today we're going to talk about the new immigration law in Arizona and the letter from a number of Bloomington City officials that condemn, condemns it. Uh, we have several guests in the studio with, with us today. City Council President Isabel Piedmont-Smith is here with us. Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Christy Gillenwater is also joining us in the studio, along with Commission on Hispanic and Latino Affairs member Gracia Valiant and IU political science professor Yvette Alex Asenso. If you have questions or comments, you can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 in Bloomington. 1-877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington area and our web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition if you want to send us an email with a question or a comment. Well, thank you all for being here. It's a big issue and we've got lots of territory to cover. I'm sure we'll get a few calls, I hope, uh, at least later in the program. But uh, let's start talking uh, first about this new Arizona law and I want to turn to our political science professor, Yvette, and uh, ask you about you know, this, what's this law say to you and h- how significant do you think it is um, in sort of the, the whole fabric of what's going on in the world? Sure. Thank you for inviting me to participate. Um, in terms of the history of the law, it's important to recognize that it was signed into law back in April, April 23rd, and uh, it's Senate Bill 1070. And it basically says that legal immigrants uh, are to carry paperwork proving their status and it requires Arizona police to question anyone in the normal responsibility of their duties um, that they have reason to suspect may be undocumented. Um, another important thing to, to mention with respect to this law is that it's in a broader context of Arizona's leadership, so to speak, on immigration reform or immigration issues because back in 2006, um, Proposition 300 uh, focused on uh, making sure that students who were enrolled in um, institutions of higher education in Arizona had to prove their status as legal citizens uh, of this country. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of where we are with the significance of this bill. I think it's important, this law. It's important to recognize that it goes into effect in July. Mm -hmm. And so much of what we think is going to happen, we really don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know that there are problems in terms of the appearance of the law with respect to the extent to which it may be discriminatory, uh, especially to uh, both native and naturalized citizens. Um, And the extent to which um, it's too broad in terms of its extension. There also may be problems with constitutionality. Um, On the positive side, however, it does prompt our government to focus on the broader question of immigration reform uh, that we need to address as a nation. Mm -hmm. And we know that we have not had much success uh, in that respect. We know that there are efforts at the national level, but immigration reform in 2008 didn't pass. Uh, And this law uh, perhaps will prompt 
not only states to boycott or to support Arizona, but to call into question the vacuum that exists in national policy with respect to immigration reform mm-hmm. and immigration law. Now, how uh, a lot of people who have uh, defended Arizona have talked about how the law is is consistent with federal law. Is that true? Not true. Well, to some extent, it is enforcing federal law um, because it is illegal for um, immigrants from anywhere, not only from Mexico, to be in the United States without proper documentation and and procedures, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But the question comes uh, with respect to the application of the law and the implementation of the law. Mm -hmm. How is it to be implemented? And um, if you think about it, uh, we don't have federal officials walking around, um, police officers walking around asking us to show verification at the state and local level at other, in other states. And so the question becomes, how is this going to be implemented in a way that's consistent with federal law and that does not discriminate? Obviously, we need to balance our need to stop illegal, illegal immigration with the uh, also important need to um, respect the rights of our nat- natural and uh, native citizens. Um, and I think that's one of the, the problems with the law, that we don't know how it's going to be implemented to strike that important balance. Um, there is also um, th- this issue of of um, the role of our political officials in terms of framing uh, the larger issue of immigration reform. And so I think that, that the positive aspect of this is that we're going to deal with that question. Mm-hmm. Gracia, uh, from your perspective, um, how um, – I, I know that you, you're not in favor of the law. Uh, what, are the, what are the biggest concerns you have about it? I think <coughs> you, Yvette has expressed some of my concerns and the commission's concerns that um, how will the police or um, determine – who has papers and who doesn't. And the question, I think, would be if you're here, um, you came legally on a tourist visa and it expired, but you're blonde and blue-eyed, would the police have reasonable suspicion to stop you if they stopped you? For, re- for you know, I think the loss is something about reasonable suspicion. Um, would they stop you if you were bond- – If when they stopped you, would they ask you to show whether you had papers? So I think for uh, for me and the commission, it's the it's the profiling of uh, more than likely it's going to be someone who looks different and who has an accent who's going to be stopped, and I think that's the primary concern that I have with with the bill. And as Yvette says, we don't know how it's going to be applied yet. But when you think about it, who who will be who will be when they're stopped or detained or arrested, who will be asked? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the crucial question. Yeah, and I think that, again, I think it's clear, it's uh, important to note that the law itself talks about how if, if people are stopped basically for another thing, then right. the law enforcement officials can ask for the documentation. It's not, as I got a letter to the editor just this week from somebody who said that in the law, law enforcement is encouraged to stop people who look differently and ask them for no. their papers, which... Is, you know, that's not true. Right. And, and I mean, we've <clears throat> tried to inform ourselves as, as to what the law actually says. And um, I think the other – I think, again, Yvette referred to this. None of us who were born here carry our birth certificates or our passports around with us all the time. And for me, um, I'm not Latina, but I could be Latina. And if I were to be in Arizona or any other state, 
where this law exists and I'm speaking Spanish and I am stopped, I could be asked to show my papers and would I have them with me? You know, so I think there's some, some issues here that, that are concerning. Mm-hmm. And, but I also agree with Yvette that it, in the, that was my first response with be, after I, I was concerned about the bill is hopefully now we can – the federal government will say, oops, we really need to step in here because immigration is broken. Mm-hmm. There's no question. Mm-hmm. So I think both of those issues are here for me. I would love to see immigration law reform happen in a positive way that works for the country mm-hmm. but without this kind of, of um, part to it mm-hmm. where we don't know who's going to be stopped or, or mm-hmm. asked to show papers mm-hmm. and where a lot of us are at risk. Okay. Uh, Isabel, I want to ask you. Uh, you signed the letter and I, you don't need to I, – I, we can talk a little bit more about the letter itself, but just your personal position and, and why you felt important to, to make a stand on this issue. Well, I really don't see how the law can be enforced without racial profiling mm-hmm. because um, the law, the Senate Bill 1070 reads that for any lawful contact made by a law enforcement official where reasonable suspicion exists that the person is an alien who is unlawfully present in the U.S., a reasonable attempt shall be made to determine the immigration status of the person. Well, how else are you going to have reasonable suspicion? Uh, you don't know the person. Uh, you know nothing about them other than what you hear from them and what they look like. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is really the only basis uh, on which a law enforcement officer in the state of Arizona can enforce the law. Mm-hmm. And that's really what bothers me the most about it. Um, and I wanted to uh, mention it, it, is, uh, it is true that the law doesn't uh, require police officers to stop people only because they think they're illegal. But I think this will also have a chilling effect as far as witnesses uh, coming forward because any legal contact could also be, oh, there's been a crime committed, um, an illegal alien who is not involved in the crime has witnessed that crime and knows something about it and can help law enforcement officials um, arrest the violent criminal, well, they're not going to come forward. They're not going to have any contact with police because they're scared. Um, I'm not condoning illegal immigration, but I think that this law widens the gap between people who look white and people who look Latino, and I think that's very bad for our country. Mm-hmm. Okay, Christy, I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about this in a general sense. I mean, we'll talk more about your, the chamber's position uh, later, but do you have something you'd like to add? Well, Bob, the law itself really was not relevant to our position. We really focused in on the city's boycott, the economic boycott of Arizona. So the law itself was not a focal area of ours, um, or the impact that the boycott itself had on our community. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go to the phones because we have a call. So we'll go to our first caller, and it's Julia. Julia? Hello. Hi, go ahead. Um, I just want to say that... Um our northern border, uh, Canada, they don't seem to profile us when we cross their borders, and a lot of our people go up there to get health care and to get prescriptions. And um, I hope that we could have the same kind of relationship with the people on uh, the southern border. Also, I've been uh, pulled aside when I was traveling in the south, in Georgia, and I was asked by law enforcement people if I was Latina. And the reason why is simply because I have dark hair. I mean, I'm not a really dark person, 
But law enforcement pulled me aside and asked me, and I was with a group of other folks. So it's pretty scary when you're pulled aside just because somebody doesn't like the way you look. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that we may um, see that happening even though the Arizona law doesn't uh, really dictate that kind of action on behalf of the police. We may see that happening in Arizona as a result of this law, uh, people being pulled over for the way they look because um, the law also uh, provides a way in which Arizona residents can sue law enforcement mm-hmm. and accuse them of not enforcing the law. And so they're, they're really caught in a bind here. So we, we may see actions like that coming out of the Arizona legislation. And I think that um, the concern, I think when your reporter interviewed me, he asked me if I was concerned about this bill being passed in Indiana. My concern is because the federal government is not responding to this issue and has not responded over the years, that states and its citizens are frustrated with, with this issue. And it does concern me that it will sort of become a snowball in other states because the federal government has not taken action. And in many ways, you can understand the frustration that people feel because, you know, we need to fix immigration. So the caller raises um, two important questions or issues. The first is the way that we um, differentiate in terms of border enforcement and controlling the United States. And we know that historically we focus primarily on our southern border and not on our northern border while the statistics suggest that there are problems with both borders. In fact, um, with federal legislation and uh, sort of ongoing efforts to beef up our border control, much of the the resources in terms of financial resources, human capital resources, hiring people to patrol the borders, we're talking about the southern border only. In fact, in my classes when I talk about immigration reform, my students are often surprised when I talk about, well, let, let's talk about border control in terms of the entire United States and these things. What's the other, other border that we need to be concerned about? Canada. Um, the second part is this, this whole notion of documentation. What is it that will prove um, that I am a citizen of the United States and what is it that I should carry around with me uh, to prove that? I was a Fulbrighter in Croatia about seven years ago. And part of the agreement with the Croatian government was that I had to carry around my passport um, every time I went out of my house and, and just had to have it ready. My two sons were with me as well. When my husband came over, he had to have his documentation as well. And that was – it was just very nerve-wracking. Um, and the police in that environment not only checked me when I was walking down the street but on the subway. Um, and so it's an experience that I've had as an African-American in Croatia, I definitely looked different. I was marked basically by my skin color. And I've had the experience of being law-abiding, carrying my passport around and being checked. And it's, it's very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. It's not the kind of situation that I think we want in the United States of America. Yeah. Well, I know we have, uh, we've had George Talaferro on this show uh, a number of times, uh, a couple of times during Martin Luther King week to talk about you know, being black in Bloomington years ago. And he always – likes to use the term driving while black, that he's been stopped so many times. And that's, you know, a, a kind of racial profiling that, that he'll certainly talk about. Uh, again, we're talking about the Arizona immigration law, and uh, we're going to get into a discussion about the city uh, city officials' letter to Arizona and um, 
some of the reaction to that in a minute. But if you want to join us, uh, you can call us at 855-0811-877-285-9348. And our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, I wanted to respond to what Gracia was saying because in uh, – you know we've, we've – with uh, the letter that Isabel signed, there were eight city council members who signed it, the mayor and Regina um, Moore, the city clerk, and sent to Arizona. That, in turn, got a response from Christie in the chamber, but also from Mike Delf uh, from the mm-hmm. state Republicans. And you were talking about, and, and Yvette has talked about, the federal government isn't dealing with this issue. And that's one thing that, that uh, Senator Delft said. He said, as you know, current federal law already requires all visitors of the United States to carry on their person documentation establishing their lawful president presence in our country. Arizona elected officials are simply doing what our federal government has shown to be unable and unwilling to do, enforce existing federal law. So, you know, he he and his fellow Republicans in the state Senate are citing that and, in fact, could very well bring forward some kind of legislation uh, in the next session of the General Assembly. So um, I wanted to, to now sort of turn this and ask Isabel about the letter and, and about the um, sending it to the, who, the governor and the two senators in Arizona. It was addressed to Jan Brewer, the governor of, yep. of uh, Arizona. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to, to backtrack a little bit and, and, and say um, as far as Mike Delft's letter, uh, which was signed by many uh, state representatives, uh, I, I question whether that's really true because I, I work with international students all the time and they are never told that they have to at all times have their passport and their – visa papers with them. So I, I don't think that's – I think that's an exaggeration. But anyway, okay. um, the letter that we sent dated May 17th um, outlined uh, the – our uh, disagreement with the law that was passed and signed into law by Governor Brewer in April. And um, it basically uh, states some of the, the reasons that I've already stated um, for opposition to the law uh, that it will – uh, undoubtedly uh, lead to racial profiling, that it does not uphold the American principle of equal protection under the law because people will be targeted because of what they look like, what they sound like. Um, really, that the, the focus of the letter and three of the five paragraphs in the letter are all about the law and concerns about civil liberties. At the end of the letter, and this is what has gotten all of the press and all of the attention, uh, we do um, talk about uh, economic um, boycott, if you'd like to call it that. Uh, we don't use that term, but uh, not um, uh, engaging in uh, financial relationships with companies based in Arizona. Uh, and that's – first of all, we address um, city department heads and suggest that they look at – um, alternatives to any contracts that they might get, engage in with companies in Arizona. And then we also say um, that we encourage Bloomington-based businesses to refrain from doing business with the state of Arizona, and we encourage private residents to avoid engaging in tourism in Arizona. And that is um, part of a, a larger movement. Um, over 30 uh, cities and counties in the United States have now uh, participated in in this um, boycott. And the idea there is um, to uh, – it's another tool to make the legislators of Arizona pay attention 
to our concerns about the constitutionality and the fairness of their law. Mm-hmm. And so what kind of reaction have you gotten at the city? Have you gotten – have you as a city council president gotten – have you heard from a lot of people? Yes. We have gotten an incredible amount of feedback about our letter um, and m- – the, that has consisted of phone calls, dozens of phone calls to the uh, the city uh, council office and um, dozens of emails that we've all received. And many of them are quite hateful. Um, they uh, basically use you know profanities that I could not repeat on the radio um, to condemn us for taking the stand. Um, but I also think that they uh, – did not really read our letter, most of them. I, would, I think that some people have engaged in, in thoughtful uh, debate about this and, and have expressed thoughtful uh, concerns. But many, I think, have sort of jumped on a bandwagon um, that, that has uh, resulted from this, this action um, to uh, make us out to be in favor of drug-running illegal Mexican immigrants, which is certainly not the case because I agree with um, – with uh, Yvette that we, we need uh, immigration reform. Obviously, our system is broken. Um, obviously, there are uh, violent uh, elements in uh, trafficking humans across our border, and we need to address that. Mm-hmm. I want to turn to Christy because uh, you have uh, at least expressed the concern about the, about the letter and what it's done to local business. Can you expand on that? Absolutely. We've received uh, well over 120 emails, calls uh, into our offices, uh, countless conversations, just walking, being involved in the community with members and others, uh, really disappointed in the council's action. And again, not with respect to their position on immigration reform. One can argue, you know, this is a distant state's law um, and why are they weighing in? But, but more importantly was the boycott issue itself. And uh, we've had very specifics. We just received another one today, uh, very specifics as far as economic impact here locally, uh, whether it be for restaurants, for hotels, for uh, tourism-related uh, events, as well as uh, retailers who sell uh, throughout the country who have received calls and feedback uh, that they have customers who will not shop with them until the city rescinds its boycott. So uh, we have definitely had an amount, a strong amount of response, and and I would suggest that that most of the council members would say if they received 120, you know, contacts on an issue, uh, that that's really significant. And interestingly, a lot of the contacts we've received are from people in the state of Indiana, and again, many even in neighboring counties. Um, you know, even specific such as I had planned. We've had two. I had planned to purchase a vehicle from X Y Z organization in your community, you know, um, a dealership here, and instead I'm going to Martinsville or I'm going to Shelbyville. And um, that's significant dollars uh, left here from the community and, again, adds up. Uh, I, I had heard uh, this morning that's, that uh, 75 room nights have been canceled from area hotels. Is that – can you confirm that? Is that a number that you've heard? We have heard um, definitely. We we know of one group specifically of 22, uh, 22 uh, individuals with two-night reservations. So, uh, yes, I think that that's a very accurate number. And, again, I know that there are some other uh, instances out there as well. Okay. We're going to get back to this in a minute. We have some phone calls. I'm going to get one before we take our halftime break. Uh, Mary's first. Mary? 
I'll make it as briefly as I can. I am a native Texan, and therefore I have seen a lot of illegals uh, coming across the border, living in little closed uh, huts where there's many people in there, and they have no particular care, but they're employed in the farms and so forth. My statement is this. We need to define uh, the word immigrant. Uh, In the dictionary, it says a person who comes to a country for the purpose of permanent residence. That's where the issue is. These are not immigrants, in my knowledge. These are illegal uh, invaders. They're coming in not, they're coming with the purpose of establishing residence, but they're not doing it legally. And we have guidelines for people to immigrate. I'm all for immigration in the proper sense but they are not uh, following these guidelines. I've traveled to 12 countries. I always show my paper has nothing to do with color or race or whatever, Um, but uh, I have to show my papers, and I would be willing to have my papers on my presence if I go anywhere. Um, I am thankful that I live in this country where we have freedoms, and people can have those freedoms, but they need to do it the right way. Right now, it's causing a lot of heartache to the people living in those states where people come in illegally, and they call it immigration. It is not immigration. All right. Thank Thank you, Mary. We'll see what kind of response we can get from the panel. Anybody want to have a reaction to that? Well, I I think the term invaders is is misused in this case. I think uh, invaders implies a military sort of organized uh, process of – trying to defeat another country's government, which um, I don't think is the case with with the illegal immigrants, and I will continue to use that term because that's the accepted term, um, into uh, into Arizona. I also wanted to um, to say that, that I, I too cherish the freedoms uh, we have in the United States of America, um, and one of those freedoms is equal protection under the law, um, meaning if I, you know have a different skin color, if I have my nose pierced and tattoos on my face, I am still going to get the same treatment from our law enforcement and from our judicial system. Um, That is not the case for people who are in Arizona legally who happen to look like uh, illegal immigrants from Central America. And that is one of the primary reasons why I'm opposed to the Arizona law. Now, I, I understand that illegal immigration is a problem, and I also do not condone people breaking our laws by entering the country illegally. But this is not going to solve that problem. There are other, there are other bills out there, even um, proposed by um, Gabrielle Giffords, for example, from Arizona. She has proposed a bill in the U.S. House of Representatives that – um, regulates uh, devices that store cash value, which are used by drug runners and uh, illegal immigrants in Arizona and other places. And by tracking those, that could really have an impact in curtailing the illegal activities. So that's just one example of a law that would actually help the problem, okay. whereas this one does not. Um, Gracia? Yeah. yeah. First of all, um, laws are illegal, breaking a law. A person is not an illegal. I, I, I don't consider myself legal or illegal. I consider myself a person who is a birthright citizen. So I think the correct terminology is, in fact, documented or undocumented immigrant. Uh, and that, that makes them a person and not, a, you know, mm-hmm. something that isn't a person. Um, I also um, 
reacted to the word invader. Um, I think um, many of the people, particularly, I don't know about Arizona, but some of the people who I know here have been here 10, 15 years. Um, Their children were born here. And many people feel or believe some misconceptions about undocumented immigrants, number one being that they are a drain and a burden on the society. However, if they work in, and even if they are using a, a social security number that is not a correct social security number or is not theirs, someone who gave them that social security number, they receive uh, a check. And on that check, they, they pay federal taxes, federal withholding taxes. They pay state and local taxes. They pay Medicare and they pay Social Security. Um, the um, Cato Institute has said that it, Undocumented immigrants pay a net of $80,000 more in taxes than they receive in services. They pay – in 2007, I believe it was, they paid $7 billion into the Social Security Fund, which they will never be able to recoup. It, it goes into the Social Security Fund and stays there. Um, some other things that, that people are unaware of is that they do – many of them do pay taxes. The IRS gives them a tax ID number and on the form that they fill out, it says you will not be reported to ICE, which is the new term for the immigration system. So in many ways, um, the, the federal government is giving – sending out some very mixed messages to, to employers – and to the undocumented folks. And that's one issue. The other issue is that, that in many ways they are contributing more than people think. And they can't – a few years ago, and I, I'm, unfortunately I'm sorry, I don't remember the, the year, they were – they can only receive um, emergency services, health services. But they are in fact paying their – they are in fact paying taxes for those services. So again, I am not condoning – illegal entry into the United States. But I do think that we have to fix a system that's broken so that these mixed messages aren't going out to employers and the people who are here. And also um, to really look at how or if these folks are contributing. And I think there's another issue that we haven't Okay. Yeah, can we take that after the break? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, we need to take that one after the break because we're uh, running a little late right now. Uh, we're talking about the uh, Arizona immigration law and the immigration issue in general. Uh, you're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone, information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. 
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. We're talking about the immigration law in Arizona, uh, and we're talking a little bit about the letter from a number of Bloomington City officials and uh, some of the reaction to it. Uh, we have with us in the studio today Bloomington City Council President Isabel Piedmont-Smith, Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Christy Gillenwater, Commission on Hispanic and Latino Affairs member Gracia Valiant, and IU Political Science Professor Yvette Alex Asenso. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Gracia is going to finish her thought, then uh, Yvette has a thought, and then we're going to go to a couple callers. Um, one thing that's happening in Arizona um, is, and, and this is concerning it, and in fact, Indiana a few years ago tried to do the same thing. Um, to say that children born of undocumented workers in the U.S. can somehow be relieved of their citizenship. Um, this is a constitutional right. If you're born here, um, you become a citizen. And, and, and to that's really scary to me to, to have a state or, or federal anybody say, sorry, because your parents are came here illegally, you can no longer be a citizen. And what I like to say to people is we don't punish the children of criminals who are in prison. So why is it ne- – why do we feel it necessary to punish the children for an act that their parents committed? So okay. that's basically the – Okay. Yvette? The caller um, uh, that just called on in um, – talked about the need to focus on the law, and I do agree with her, and I think that all of us uh, here agree with her. But at the same time, part of living in a democracy requires that we see all sides of the issue and that we have balance. The other aspect of that is making sure that we protect the rights of Native and naturalized citizens of the United States. We also live within a context where our founding fathers established certain principles, equality and justice, and those things also must set the tone for the way that we deal with all of our citizens Mm -hmm. and all people who come to the United States of America. There are certain rights that are accorded to people in this country, and there are other rights accorded to citizens. And I think we need to keep in mind that the issues of justice and fairness and equality are those that are accorded to all people, not necessarily only to citizens. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to the phones. And Luis. Luis? Hello. Um, I just have a few things I'd like to say. Uh, first off, when Governor Brewer signed this into law, which I lived in Arizona for quite some time, she also created a task force to make sure that during stops, lawful stops, you know, speeding, taillight or description of a criminal. Um, She is training these officers when it would be appropriate to ask about status, how to ask about it, and so forth, Um, because she is very concerned about protecting the rights of those that are here legally. Um, Also, I'm just very curious on what your thoughts are on the House Bill 2632 that uh, was also signed with Senate Bill 1070. Can you uh, tell us what that what that bill says? What that law says? So you're, I'm assuming that since they are um, so educated on the Senate Bill 1070, they looked at the House Bill 2632. Um, since it does become a little more specific to the Senate Bill, as in the documentation um, powers duties um, of the law enforcement. Um, it's, so, 
There's uh, a lot more to SB 1070 because you also have to look at the House bill. What? Yeah, can you explain to us what, uh, what we should be looking at in that bill? Well, when you look over the bill, um, let me see if I can get this up here. Um, it basically goes over, um, like, the, <laughs> the Indian nations and observances and becoming more strict that, um, like, they talk about how police can, you know, check for your documentation. Well, in the House bill, it's, you know, if you provide your driver's license or even according to federal law, if you're here from another country, you are required to carry your visa, your green card, um, and you present it, you're fine. Uh, at least that is my interpretation. Um, I'm very passionate about this because my family is still in Arizona. I have seen the effects of the drop houses and the rapes and the murders and the other nationalities, not just Latinos, coming across that border. You have Iranians. You have Somalians. Um, there's a lot more traffic coming across that border than people want to acknowledge. And the state has been asking and begging the federal government to uphold its own law for years. And I am fully in favor of Arizona doing this and uh, also applying the House bill. Um, and I think that's something that I think our city council has overlooked because when the Senate passes a bill, the House usually passes one too. And to me, it seems like not enough investigating has gone on by the council into this before they made their decision. Well, I, I can only say that that's not really the way the law works in Indiana. I mean, the Senate and the House will get together and they'll have a conference committee and they'll come out with one bill that becomes law. And I would assume that's the way it works in Arizona, but I don't know that for sure. Um, you know, any response to uh, Louise's comments? Um, I, I did uh – I think I am familiar with the bill she's talking about. I don't remember the the number, but um, the House bill, uh, I believe a House bill was passed in Arizona to try to um, clarify uh, how who would be stopped and to make sure or to try to mitigate any racial profiling that happens. But the fact is that Senate Bill 1070 was not repealed, was not altered. So uh, I think that um, the the problem still exists. Yvette? Yes, I, I, I do agree with the caller that we need to be um, more focused on efforts, effective efforts to stem the tide of illegal immigration. But my question is whether or not the Arizona bill will accomplish that, not only because it imposes risks to naturalized and native citizens, but because if you look at the law and the terms of the law, policemen are required uh, to ask for identification of the people that they stop within the lawful course of their duties. So that means policemen are, first, first of all, um, not doing their their other jobs. So 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 in addition to ra- uh, tracking down murders and rapers and all of these other kinds of things, they have an additional duty or responsibility. But in addition to that, think about the fact that police officers themselves do not encounter all of the illegals. 
So what you need to do is have a law that focuses on the particular mechanisms for the flow of illegal immigration, whether that's corporations, whether that's money laundering in the banks, uh, whether that's institutions of higher education. Those are the kinds of mechanisms that need to be focused on. So the question is not only racial profiling and not only the, the notion of invaders, but how do we fashion a law that accomplishes the attended goals and, and the needs of our country, not only one state in the union. Okay, we have a couple callers, but first, before we go to those, I, I do want to go back to Isabel because I want—I think we need to get this issue at least uh, somewhat resolved. And that is, you know, Christy has mentioned some things where she thinks that the action of the eight signers and the mayor and, and um, the city clerk has had a negative impact on on city um, the city's economy, city businesses, local people. So, you know, the question that I would ask you is, you know, the the act of sending the letter itself, um, did you take into account what might – what the reaction would be? I would imagine you did. And then the, the negative consequences that could occur and how do you address, you know, Christie's concerns? Well, I think that um, we, we certainly did think about uh, how – what the impact of the letter would be. Um, what I, I did not um, – think about previously that people would engage in a reverse boycott, which uh, many people, and uh, I agree with, with Christy, I also had a, at least 120 emails, and many of them did say exactly that, that they're not going to buy anything in Bloomington. Um, what I wonder, though, is whether these people would have bought anything in Bloomington anyway. It's very hard to measure unless you have – unless you're a Bloomington business that had an order placed already and then the order was canceled – there's really no way to know whether somebody who is writing me from uh, often I don't know where, anonymous email address somewhere, whether that person had ever even considered going to Bloomington before this issue even came up. So um, as far as real damage to our local economy, I have heard of a very few cases. And I, I do feel bad for those businesses that have really had measurable uh, financial uh, impacts from our action. However, in the greater scheme of things, I think when somebody – when an elected official sees an injustice being brought against a whole segment of society, a whole segment of people who are in the country legally, which I believe has happened to Latinos in Arizona, it is our duty to speak out. A similar thing happened uh, six years ago in uh, 65 years ago in um, California or, or throughout the country really when Japanese Americans were put in internment camps because we were at war with Japan. And I think the, the general uh, recognition now that that was a terrible injustice to them is the same recognition that will uh, come about when this law is implemented, that it's a great injustice to a whole category of people to assume that they're all illegal and treat them all the same when only a very few of them are uh, are here illegally and for our, uh, the violent sort of uh, criminals who commit the, the rapes and murders that our previous call referred to. Uh, and I think that nobody would certainly dispute the fact that as an individual, making that kind of a, a passionate statement to the governor of Arizona or anybody else is a, certainly a legitimate thing to do. But as the – as a uh, community leader, as a, an elected official, you – it seems to be that you're saying that as an elected official, it, it heightens your duty to do that. 
Well, I've taken an oath to uphold the Constitution, and I believe this law is unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I felt the need to speak up. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Bob, I think from our take, you know, again, you're looking at a, a distant state's uh, law here, and we're looking at local taxpaying businesses, small businesses. The majority of our members, over 75 percent, are small businesses here. And the businesses we're hearing from are small businesses, and every dollar counts to them. And I would strongly argue that these are real dollars that are being compromised here. And what we're hearing from a lot of our members is, is we have enough issues to focus on, enough opportunities here that we need to focus more of our efforts here locally in public policy decisions and that we understand, you know, the city's desire to weigh in on this issue. But again, issuing the economic boycott has had uh, negative implications here. And I think, you know, there a lot of unintended consequences definitely, um, but, you know, some of which we may not even see. I mean, it's frequent that where we are, um, you know, a finalist or in the final list for a potential for a significant amount of jobs. And you never know when a decision like this will send a company, you know, uh, away. And I think that's where it's unfortunate or existing businesses who are looking at investing more resources here and these kind of decisions, the impacts that they can have on jobs and our ability to grow and sustain jobs here locally. And, you know, that's something that we think is really important. And we would hope that our elected officials, you know, counsel, ask, you know, ask us, ask others when they're thinking about taking actions like this, about the impact it could have on our local business community, businesses who give back countlessly in the form of resources, financial resources, time to various non-for-profit agencies here in the community. And so uh, that's what we would ask is, is more thought uh, in the future. And again, um, we are sorry for our businesses who have been negatively impacted by this. I, th I think there is um, – uh, there may be actually a benefit uh, that other communities will feel um, due to what the action taken by the Arizona legislature because um, a lot of conferences, a lot of national professional organizations, uh, sporting organizations, Major League Baseball um, have decided to come out against the Arizona law. And so they might take their conferences and their uh, sporting events elsewhere, including to Indiana. So that also is something that may well occur. Um, but the bottom line for our local businesses is I, I have not seen proof of a major impact. Okay. Let's go. We need to go to the phones. And Nita is next. Nita, thanks for your patience. Uh, hello. Hi, Nita. Thanks. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you, Isabel. And thank you, members of the city council. I am so proud of you. Okay. You had well, the you're welcome. <laughs> say no to discrimination and to injustice. I grew up in the South where some folks could not go to my school. They couldn't go to the movies with me. They had to live on one side of town, and they couldn't vote. And I believe they were American citizens. I thought that your example of Japanese-Americans was first-rate. And it really distresses me to think that we would sell out for a dollar to meet the needs of our country, to meet the needs of our state. I believe that the Council of Mayors has, the many, many, many cities have taken the exact same steps. And they've had, as I said, the courage to say no to discrimination. 
Thank you. All right, Nita. Thanks a lot for the call. And let's go next to uh, Joseph. Joseph? Yes. Uh, just a quick comment on uh, Council Member Smith. Um, it seems that uh, her and the other council members are operating out of hysteria and fear. This law does not discriminate directly. In other words, they're basing their rationale on assumptions of what will happen under the law. They have no evidence that this is happening already. And reasonable search and probable cause are constitutional. They apply throughout the land without discrimination against anybody. A friend of mine was questioned by police on campus because he was at the computer lab at 4 in the morning. You can, why? Suspicion. They probable cause and suspicious behavior have been a bulwark of the Constitution for, for well, hundreds of years. So I don't know how she finds this unconstitutional. And if Arizona is proven to be discriminatory, then you have a case. Then you could say, hey, look, everybody they stopped is Hispanic or Mexican. They're not stopping anybody else. Then you have a much stronger case, but you're operating under a huge assumption of their application. So maybe somebody can address that. Thanks. I'd be happy to address that. Um, the the term reasonable suspicion, which is is used in the law, um, is not defined anywhere. And uh, the reasonable suspicion is the the grounds for which a law enforcement officer would ask to see proof of somebody's um, status as a legal resident in the United States, and not. We're not talking about you know being at a deserted place at four in the morning. We're talking about. Um, people in their everyday lives, many, many of uh, Arizona's um, citizens and legal permanent residents are Latino. And this, um, the only way a, a police officer could have reasonable suspicion that somebody is in the country illegally, uh, if they don't know the person, is by looking at them. There's just, I mean, logic does not give me any other explanation for how this is going to be enforced. Now, maybe it won't be enforced. Maybe that will be the explanation. But uh, if this law is going to be enforced, um, there will be racial profiling. I just if, – if you could explain to me how uh, it can be enforced in any other way, I'd be happy to listen to that. May I make a comment? Sure. Um, I, I guess um, the question is, um, number one, the person who was asked by the um, IU police to show his identification, I'll bet was not asked to show that he is a birthright citizen which is what the citizens of Arizona are going to have to do when they're, if, they're, if the police feel that there's reasonable suspicion that they are here illegally. No? Yeah, illegally. Um, then they can, they can ask for proof that they're citizens. So how many of us, again, I wonder if your caller and this young man in the computer lab had proof that he, this, that he was a U.S. citizen. I think that's what concerns me, that legal citizens in Arizona will have to prove when they're stopped for a reasonable, under reasonable suspicion, that they are citizens. And again, I would, my guess is, and I, again, I can't prove to the caller that this won't happen, excuse me, won't happen, but that when they stop someone who's white and has blonde hair or white and has brown hair, that they're not going to ask for proof of citizenship. So that's the concern that that I have. And I don't carry my birth certificate around. I don't know whether your caller does or my passport because I don't have to. I don't – nobody – I don't have to do that. So that's my concern. Christy? One last thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
again, looking back at the local issue here, uh, we have ex- examples of thousands of dollars that have been pulled from this community from a variety of businesses. And I'd be happy to share those specific examples with anyone because we have numerous examples. And again, our, our focus is let's look for more common sense approaches to these decision making um, from some of our elected officials as it relates to economic impact to our small business community who are working daily to maintain jobs and grow jobs here during these economic times. So we appreciate um, you know, their, their feedback and a lot of their leadership, but would hope that they'd look to counsel us and others on some of these key decisions that can have negative impacts on our taxpaying members here in the community. Okay. We have uh, gotten permission to have five extra minutes. We have two more phone callers, so we're going to take a, a call from Iris. Iris? Um, hi. As a southerner, I share the previous caller's uh, clear, clear uh, uh, conviction that this will work out to be a racist and xenophobic law in Arizona, and I applaud the city council. I do want to say that what is being pre- presented as evidence of economic loss isn't quantitative evidence. It's anecdote. And until there is a study showing gains versus losses, we will not know whether there is any impact in this community. Perhaps those of us who support the boycott, if we want to call it that, ought to begin to call up businesses that have, uh, have uh, been in the news protesting this move uh, to say that, that we will not shop there as a result of their opinions. Or perhaps we should call those places where we do go and tell, tell them that we support the city council's actions. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you for the call. And let's go to Victor. Victor? Hi. Hey, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'd like to say that when I heard about the uh, Bloomington Council taking the position on the Arizona law, that I felt really proud of uh, Bloomington. Uh, it's something that Bloomington didn't have to do, and uh, it's standing up for a principle. The very fact that Arizona didn't say everyone who gets stopped by a, an officer is going to have to show their citizenship uh, basically raises the issue of uh, an underlying uh, racism. Uh, it's it's pretty natural to be afraid of uh, uh, quote unquote invaders, and I uh, had a home in California in an area that had been invaded during the late 30s by uh, people from Arkansas, and Oklahoma, in the Depression, and when I uh, uh, remodeled the home. I found a 1938 paper, and it had in it articles that had the same concern uh, that's expressed about illegals as from the people who came from the uh, the drought in the Midwest. But just once again, I'm uh, a very uh, proud of the Bloomington Council. Okay. Thank you very much, Victor. And our last call of the day is Mark. Um, Mark, go ahead. Yes. Uh, are any of these people uh, uh, constitutional lawyers, immigration lawyers, any lawyers at all? 
on the city council? Not to my knowledge. The law of, of Arizona says in the first paragraph the intent is to uh, cooperate with enforcement of federal immigration law throughout all of Arizona declares the intent of this act is to make attrition through enforcement, which is exactly what's happening. As your photo in this, uh, on your new edition shows, people are leaving Arizona that are illegal. That's the intent of the law, and it seems to be working. Uh, Mr. Smith there wants to, uh, or is bound to uphold the Constitution, she says, but apparently only parts she's comfortable with. Not the immigration laws. There's two issues, and they keep confounding this whole hour with issues that are completely irrelevant to the issues at hand here. They're boycotting Arizona and causing a loss of business in Bloomington, first of all. Second of all, you're either documented or you're not documented to get into this country. Those are the two important issues. All this stuff about 30 cities are boycotting well there are 19,000 cities that are not boycotting so let's get on the stick okay mark we're businesses gonna, are losing money in this town we're, we're gonna have to cut you of off this. now because we're uh, we're about out of time i want to give everybody one last comment uh isabel i know you had something you want to say so please start well i appreciate um all the callers and i i hope that this um issue and the letter that the council and the mayor and the clerk sent to Arizona have caused people to think about the issues involved um, to seriously look at uh, some of the problems with um, immigration as a whole and uh, with racial possible racial profiling or racial tensions within our society. I think those are very important issues that don't end here and don't end with our letter. Um, as far as um, I didn't intend to blow off local businesses or um, any of the worry that they have suffered, um, perhaps as a result of our uh, letter to the governor of Arizona, I, I understand their worries are real. And in some cases, the financial losses are real. And um, I do regret that. However, in the overall scheme of things, I think it is important for all um, elected officials to speak out against what is um, a law that is uh, basically racist. Um, I do uphold uh, the Constitution of the United States and the laws of the United States government, including the immigration laws. Um, and I, I think that this last caller has really um, shown the – well – to quote an earlier caller, the hysteria that has built up around this issue. Um, and I do hope that people will stop to read our letter and to consider it in the context of the hard work we do every day for the citizens of Bloomington on local issues. Okay. Thanks, Isabel. Um, Christy, 30 seconds. Just again, on behalf of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, we really value our members and the role they play here in the community, giving back uh, to the non-for-profit community, employing people, growing jobs here locally. It's critical the role that our businesses play, and uh, it's our duty to make sure that we represent them and advocate for their needs here for the betterment of our business community and the community at large. Okay. Fifteen seconds, Gracia. Okay. Sorry. Um, I guess <laughs> what I'd like to leave us with is that what I would hope is that this issue will – that citizens will petition our federal legislators to really reform immigration. That's – what this issue is all about. You bet. We need balance. We need effective law that addresses both the needs of uh, 
immigration as well as the needs of our larger country and the principles that we adhere to and hold so dear. All right. I want to thank our guests, Isabel Piedmont-Smith, uh, Christy Gillenwater, Gracia Valiant, and Yvette Alex Asenso. For Ariana Prothero, our producer and engineer, Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for, for, thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.